Now, all of us want to be great, so you use TikTok, or you use YouTube, or you use Facebook, or any other social platform, Instagram for some of us, so that we can try and make ourselves great. These are not temptations that are unusual to us, because Jesus faced all of them when Satan tempted him, as you know, in the book of Matthew chapter 4. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and it was by the Spirit. That's a bit confusing, isn't it? To be led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. Shouldn't we think about that for a minute? So that's not an easy one to accept. And yes, Jesus, the Son of God, just been declared by the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted. And the three kinds of temptation are ones that we all face with regards to wanting to be great. And the first one was turn these stones into bread, which is about relevancy. Can you be relevant at the moment that you are facing this deep hunger? Can you turn the stones into bread? The thing about relevancy, it can easily lead to you compromising what you believe. And Jesus was very focused on not just becoming relevant, but becoming the bread of life to everyone that he would eventually interact with during his time on the earth. So that's the first temptation we all face. And I say this to you as a local church, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of saying, we must do things to be relevant. So we can be relevant because we put a smoke machine in the church, or you put color lights in the church, or you do some other fantastic things that we see happening in the church now because we think that we want to be relevant to the next generation. Very shortly, your pastor will be a hologram because he'll come to you in the form of a robotic AI pastor and we'll call it relevance and say, no, we are with the times because we are into the fifth industrial revolution. And so you, you can easily fall into that trap of wanting to be relevant and it will all be associated with greatness, in inverted commas. So greatness doesn't require us just to be relevant. The second thing that he said to him when he took him to the pinnacle, he said, throw yourself down. And Jesus very quickly used the scripture. He said he'd give his angels charge over to you. Now, can you imagine if Jesus was thrown down from there and he was rescued? I tell you, he would have been absolutely famous if that had to happen. Now, lots of people do let me use a phoenix word, stupid things, to be famous. And they become highly, highly famous using social media. So people have this very intense desire to be famous. And they are willing to do anything to make themselves famous. So church can also be like that. If you want to make the church famous, there are many things you can do to make it famous, to make it popular, to make it a place that everyone will be attracted to, to make it a place where everyone will say that it's hip and trendy to be there because of what the church is associated with in terms of its popularity and fame. 
I can say and talk about Yilsong's because it's on Disney Plus at the moment. So I don't have to go too far to talk to you about what fame can do. And you can just look at the history. They now have a 50% discount of churches simply because of popularity based on music. You don't build a church on music. You build it on the word of God. And don't say amen because all of you are victims of Yilsong's. You all sang the songs. You loved it. I still love ill songs. From time to time I sing some of those songs quietly in my room. I don't, I don't sing it too loud. But the reality is you want to be famous and popular. Third temptation that Jesus faced when Satan said to him, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now here's the paradox. How can you give what does not belong to you? But the third temptation is to be materialistic or to build something with materialistic value which we will call wealth and all the kingdoms of this world. I don't want to get into a more deeper explanation of that. But that was promised to him. So as a church, you also got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of a materialistic gospel. But I believe in a prosperity gospel but not materialistic. There's a difference. The prosperity gospel is the shalom of God, one that will develop you mentally, socially, physically, spiritually. It's a holistic perspective. Materialistic gospel only focuses on one thing, that you will be rich, that you will be wealthy, that you live in the best suburb and you'll drive the best cars and wear the, the best clothes. Listen, you can have all of that too. But also make sure that you have peace mentally, socially, and spiritually. So when you look at these three temptations and you can interrogate them with greater depth to understand it. But these are all things that want to tempt us. And they are all connected to what we call worldliness. And the book of 1 John tells us clearly that we should not love the world or the things of the world. And the things of the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. You have to go back to the book of Genesis to understand that the temptation that was presented to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden was the same temptation of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. How would you say that? She saw the fruit, lust of the eye. They ate the fruit, lust of the flesh. Then they wore fig leaves to cover up what they did. Pride of life. Same with David. He saw Bathsheba, lust of the eye. He committed adultery with her, lust of the flesh. Then he had a husband killed in battle to cover up what he did. Pride of life. The spirit of worldliness is very dangerous. So when you engaging in the realm of having something great or building something great, these temptations will always be there. Even in your own journey, you are living in a world that is filled with all kinds of temptations that is governed by what we call the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this age is upgraded with every generation that emerges. So when you look at the spirit of the age, you have to go back centuries and look at how it has evolved over time. So now we are governed by the spirit of the age. And I want you to know there are sons of wickedness 
in every aeon of time that govern the way you think, govern the way you operate, govern what you believe, govern how you will live. So you cannot live without a cell phone today. Very shortly, you won't even be able to enter your home without a cell phone because everything will be programmed. If you go to places like South Korea, you don't have to carry a bank card. You don't have to buy a, a train ticket. Everything is on your phone. You just scan and you go. There's nothing you can do without a phone. If you don't have a specific app on your phone, you can't function. So they govern your life that way. But everything is, is governed by the spirit of the age. So when I talk about greatness, I'm laying a platform to understand that you are already set up to be great. But there's a biblical greatness that I want to talk to you about. And as you engage with this particular building, especially for those of you that are part of this local church, what's going to make your name great? Isn't that a good question? Because you are promised greatness, because you are heirs of the promise according to the text that I'm going to read in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. Let me be spiritual and read the Bible. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So if you are the heir of the promise, it is inevitable, but you must have a definition. Now some of you are not very excited about my message. Because it doesn't look like you are thrilled about being great. When I read this, I said, hey, I want this. I want to know what must I do biblically to get this. So get excited about being great. It's okay. It's biblical. So God has a promise for you according to the promise that he made in Abraham. And you are the heir of that promise in Christ Jesus according to the book of Galatians 3. That he will make you a great nation. And he will bless you and he will make your name great. And that promise still holds today as sons of God and heirs of the promise. Let me read it for you in Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise, the promise that I just read. So there is a promise that your name will be great and God will make you a great nation. Now, Greatness has a source, and you must know the source. The source is God. God is great. He does great things. We sing about his greatness. We talk about his greatness. We worship. We confess. We read the scriptures, and he talks often about God's greatness. Time will not permit me to give you all the scriptures, but God is the source of greatness. Job 36 verse 26 says, Behold, how great is our God, we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Job 37, 5, God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which cannot be comprehended. Psalms 47, verse 2, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Creation is a result of God's great power, according to Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, outstretch arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Amen? So you serve a great God and we often speak about it. Maybe it's a cliche to you. But I want to register it in your spirit this morning 
that God wants you to be great. Amen. And I pray that this church would receive the word that I'm giving you this morning. That God will make you a great name. And he will make your name great among the nations. But there are certain prerequisites for that greatness. Whether you look at it personally or corporately this morning. Now, firstly, God's greatness as a location. A place where it is manifested. A place where it is exposed, unveiled. Where it is revealed to us. And that location is not just a physical location. So while we come to this building where we assemble as a local church or we assemble as the house of God, while we come here, there are positions in the spirit we have to attain to for greatness to manifest. So Psalms 99 tells us in verse 1 to 3, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, he dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. And he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. So what's the location where God reveals his greatness? It's called Zion. So the position of Zion, which is a mature position for every believer... And it is characterized by certain things in terms of how we approach and how we grow into our maturity. We come to church because we want to be equipped, we want to develop so that we can come to the perfect man. The word perfect simply means mature in the book of Ephesians. So the reason we, we come into the house of God is because we want to mature to, to become what God has designed for us to be. And the design is this, and this is the meta-narrative of scripture, and it's one thing that you must understand. That God has predestined for you to be conformed to his image and his likeness. This is what church is about. Church is about getting you to conform. This is why it requires you to transform. This is why it requires you to reform. Because we want you to conform. To the image of the son. So God's agenda for you is sonship with God the father. And his agenda for you is to bear his image and his likeness. So that you can manifest him to the earth. This is why creation groans. It is waiting for the manifestation, the revealing or the disclosure of the sons of God. It's not waiting for Christians. No, it's waiting for the revealing of the image and the likeness of God. So all that we do in church, whether it's singing, whether it's the, the different kinds of meetings that we have, the Bible studies that we have, the Sunday school meetings or the youth or whatever you do in church, all the different things that we do must have this assignment. And this assignment is we conform to the image and the likeness of his son. But you must have a definition for that. When you invite me back again, I'll tell you what it is. Time will not permit us this morning. But that's the meta-narrative of scripture. That's what it's about. That's what you are predestined for. That is why you are called chosen. It's for that purpose. Amen. You got to understand that. So your journey is to this place called Zion. A place of maturity where the sun can be revealed. So David understood 
that when he came to the place called Zion, he had one priority in his life. Just one. One priority. When he got to Zion, he had to get rid of the Jebusites. He had to get rid of the lame and the blind that were hindering them from getting in. And when he eventually got to Zion, he had this one assignment, the ark must come to Zion. And so he got together everyone. They went to get the ark from Shiloh where it was for the last 20 odd years. But you know, they did not follow the protocol. And the protocol was that the ark was not meant to be pushed on a cart. So the ark was not meant to be pushed on a cart. They had not followed the protocol. This is why Uzzah died because he touched the ark. When the oxen stumbled, he tried to steady it and he, and he died at the threshing floor, as you know. And then the ark ended up in the house of Obadidim for three months. And Obadidim's house was thoroughly blessed because the ark was there. So how many of you know Obadidim became great just in three months? So now you know I'm getting somewhere. So in his mind, David knew, listen, greatness cannot be attained if the ark is not present in Zion. If it's not there, you cannot attain greatness. So he had this assignment and he went and found out, how do we get it right? What are the protocols that we must follow so that the ark can be brought back? And he understood that the ark was not designed. There are patterns, there are designs, there are authentic designs in the Bible that the church must go back to. There are certain protocols that you have to follow. And it's not designed to be pushed on a cart. It's meant to be carried. This is why the presence of God cannot be manipulated. It is carried. You can have great entertainers, great musicians, you can do your best to cultivate an environment and it will be emotionalism. Because even if Maria Carrera sings, you will cry. But when those protocols that are followed, according to the biblical design, oh, the manifest presence is there. And he knew that greatness, because if you read the verse, the Bible says, and God made David great. After that. Why? Because he knew the protocol. He knew the assignment. He knew the priority. The priority is that without the Ark of the Covenant, there's no greatness. What's the Ark of the Covenant? Very simple. Ark of the Covenant is the anointing. It's the presence of God in your life. Oh, listen to me, friend. You want to be great. You must have a thirst. You must have a hunger. You must have a desire. You must have a passion. There must be a longing in your heart for the presence of God. Greatness cannot be attained by all the natural means. But this is divine. This is a divine installation from heaven that comes to indwell you and comes to live in you and comes to make your name great. So without the presence of the Lord, without the Ark of the Covenant coming and resting in a place called Zion, the church, the firstborn, the church that is registered in heaven, we cannot become great. So we'll have to do a lot of other things. You'll have to manufacture a lot of other things in order to attain that greatness. And you'll have to work hard. 
But when the presence of God, and I say this to you as ZCC, develop a culture for the manifest presence of God to be here. Find out how. Develop it. I'll give you a few keys this morning just now. But know that in your life, for those of you that are, are here personally in your life, in your home, develop yes. a system, a culture of making sure that the presence of the Lord is in your home. Whether it's through music, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through worship, whether it's through the culture of celebrating doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayers in your car. Come on, I'm telling you the basics, Christianity 101. Oh, you got to develop it. You got to be hungry for it. Because what's coming? You're not going to be able to handle it. The perilous times that we are entering into, you cannot handle it without the presence of the Lord. I don't care how talented you are, I don't care how gifted you are, I don't care how many degrees you got, I will tell it to you right now, without the presence of God, you're not going to make this journey. You're just not going to make it. You're going to have an intense desire. Now, there's the omnipresence of God, there's the manifest presence of God, there's the indwelling presence of God. When I talk to you about the manifest presence, we are talking about the inspirational presence, also called the glory of God. And if there's no glory, there is Ichabod. And Ichabod is the result of a priesthood that is robbing and thieving the people of God. During the time of Eli, you saw what the sons of Ophni and Phineas did. And the Ark of the Covenant was captured, was hijacked because of an illegitimate priesthood. So I say to you, if you are not discerning of the priesthood of the 21st century, if you are an undiscerning Christian, I want you to know that your liver is going to be pierced. You will not be able to know what is happening. You'll have a jaundiced eye as the book of Proverbs 7 talks about because you're sitting under a leadership that has no clue of what's going on. All they are doing is maintaining their CEO status for church with a commercialization entity and has one goal and that's to make money. That's not going to carry you. You've got to have a great desire for the presence of the Lord. Zion is about that. So here's my first point. You want to be great. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Go and ask Ananias and Sapphira. That created an independent culture. Separate from the community and the collective. Decided not to be a part of it. Died on the spot. This is a serious time in God. I wish those days will come back. A couple of Ananias and Sapphiras die in the church. The fear of the Lord will come back like you cannot believe. We need to make some of those prayers. Amen? Ephesians 4.30 puts it like this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now when you read that part, you will not know how you are grieving the Holy Spirit. So you've got to read the next verse. Because it will tell you how you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And the next verse says, let all bitterness. 
hmm? marah wrath anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice so you got to know what grieves the spirit of god is bitterness is wrath is anger is clamor it's evil speaking and i know in johannesburg this kind of people don't exist but in durban they are all there now bitterness will grieve the spirit of god and people get bitter for very frivolous reasons and they they can hold it they can keep it in them for years and years and years jesus didn't die for you to be bitter he died for you to get better just to use a charismatic cliche and how did he do that because you know how the bitter waters were solved in the book of exodus 15 i think it is where they came to mana and the waters were bitter and the people were complaining and god said to moses take this tree throw it into the water and the bitterness will be removed or the tree is the cross the man died on the cross and he hung on the cross so that your bitterness can be made sweet that your curse can be turned into a blessing Jesus died so that all your bitterness would be removed. How is that bitterness removed? It's called forgiveness. You got to be able to forgive. Now you said pastor you're supposed to talk to us about greatness. What happened to the greatness? You can't get greatness. It's not possible if you keep grieving the spirit of God. What about wrath and anger? Don't let the sun go down. on your anger yes it's okay to be angry sometimes when i preach holy anger comes on me i have to be careful i might start swearing sometimes you can get angry people do insane things foolish things and you wonder what are they listening to in church what are they learning because of the foolish behavior they engaging yes we get angry with our spouses we get angry with our children but we have to know how to exercise and one of the key features of sons of god is exercising self control the ability to restrain yourself so if you want to be great don't grieve the holy spirit now you must know what makes the holy spirit excited listen to this verse 32 be kind to one another be tender hearted forgiving one another even as god in christ forgave you oh i can close this meeting now you can go home and think about that be kind when you come to park your car be nice think about the other person that has to park south africa is a laboratory for kindness oh it will test you everywhere Don't worry about the church. Everywhere you go, you'll be tested to be kind. Be tender-hearted. It's so easy to become hardened like the priest and the Levite that walked on the other side when they saw the man that was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and was robbed by thieves. And they would have had answers for him. They would have said, "Listen, 
According to the law, we're not allowed to touch you because you are declared unclean. They could have said to him, what are you doing walking from Jerusalem to Jericho? You're supposed to be walking the other way. <laughs> they could have given him a myriad of reasons as to why he ended up in that way. And we're so good at that. We're so good at telling people, hey, this is why you ended up like this. This is why you, you are fallen down and you are lost everything and the devil has ravaged you. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. We are masters at finding the reasons to tell them why you finished off like this. And we so find it so easy to walk on the other side. And it's because there's no tender heartedness. Jesus said, uh, my sheep are all scattered. And he says, with deep compassion, he prayed for them because they were all scattered like a sheep without shepherd. You are highly desensitized because of what we watch on television every day. We are highly desensitized to the sufferings of people because of the things we all face and go through in our own lives. We become totally desensitized. But if you want to be great, how's the message going? Is it okay? Oh, if you want to be great, you've got to feel. It's called splank jizomai. Nice word I learned. It's a Greek word. It's called having compassion. Feeling. Tenderheartedness. Understanding the pain that people are going through. You, you watch TV and you see a mother crying for a child. You see people suffering. What goes through your mind? Oh, switch the channel. From BBC to CNN and whichever channel you switch to, you'll, you'll, you'll see people suffering. What does it do to you? A person that is speaking in other tongues. Oh, greatness is about tenderheartedness. Being kind. Being forgiving. Being forgiving. Can you see the heavens open? Like Stephen did. Because he was ready to forgive. Listen carefully, listen carefully. You're missing out on open heavens. Because you're not ready to forgive. Oftentimes you talk to someone. I say, Pastor, no, I'm not ready to forgive. I say, okay, you carry on. The heavens will be like brass for you. When you're ready, you come and talk to me. But there's not much I can do for you now. 490 times to forgive in one day is about readiness. It's not about the number. It's about readiness to forgive. So here's the first point. You want to be great? Desire the ark. And when the presence of God comes in your life, let him do this stuff. Let him do this stuff. Take that wrath from your life. Take that anger from your life. Take that unforgiveness from your life. Take the bitterness out of you. When you make those prayers and ask him, Lord, please remove this from me. Help me to be tender-hearted. Help me to be kind. Help me to be forgiving. That's why David, when he prayed in Psalms 51, after what he did, after what he did with Bathsheba, after knowing what he did to her husband Uriah and put him in the front line, after coming under great conviction, after the prophetic 
utterance that was made to him by the prophet Nathan to tell him, hey, listen, you are the man. Then he made this prayer in Psalms 51 and we all sing the song, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from your presence. Oh, that's death. You want to know death is when you can't sense God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. David knew that his greatness was dependent on that. He knew that to win battles and to expand territories and to have the influence that he had and the wealth that he had acquired over a period of time, oh, is because of this. Today, we don't have that intensity, that desire for that. We come to church just to get a few principles so that we can better our lives. But this intensity where the person of the Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, comes to indwell you, live with you, talk with you. If you don't have the desire, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to like it. You are not saved. You need to revisit your salvation. You must be born of the Spirit to enter this thing. Otherwise, church is just a religious, good religious practice to appease your mind and to say, I did my stuff, I gave my 10%. And I'm there every Sunday and I took the communion and I sang the songs. Lord, did you check that? Can you mark the register? No, this walk is not like that. Greatness is attained because there's a deep hunger for the presence of God. Amen? Second reason or second principle towards greatness is excellence. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 22, 29, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Now, Solomon understood excellence. The queen of Sheba experienced the excellence. But excellence doesn't come without wisdom. And it's the wisdom that comes from above, not from beneath. According to James 3. So the wisdom that comes from above is godly wisdom. It is one of the functions of the spirit that comes into our lives to make us an excellent person. An excellent people will stand before kings, not unknown men. That is why different kings and different nations came to stand before Solomon because they wanted to see the wisdom of God. That's why when the queen of Sheba came into the house of Solomon, she says, I have seen all that I heard. I heard of your wisdom, but now I can see it. And it was because of the excellence that was in the house of Solomon. The seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, the way they were dressed, the cupbearers. And then she saw this very powerful thing. Listen carefully. She saw the entryway. She saw the staircase. Leading up to the house of God. So Solomon had, had a house. It was called his royal house. And then there was what was called the house of God. Or the temple of Solomon. And the two things were connected by a staircase. Some say it had 15 steps. It is the 15 Psalms called the songs of ascent. Which is Psalms 120 to Psalms 134. It was commonly called Solomon's porch. 
and it had these 15 steps and the priests would sing, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. Psalms 122, which is one of the songs of ascent. And they would go into the temple. Now, how does that work for us in our day and age? You got your house, your mansion, your palace, your, what's the word to use? Your man cave, yes, that's the word I'm looking for, which is your house. But if it's not connected to the house of God, there's no wisdom. This is why you must be connected to the house of God with your house. How do you stay connected to the house of God? You must be in the house of God. You mustn't be online. That's not a revelation, eh? That was the instruction I gave you. Online is not an excuse for you not to be in the house of God. No, no, you make the journey like every Israelite did. To go to the house of God because you want your house to be connected. Basically, the source of Solomon's excellence comes from being connected to the temple. Now, that's on an individual basis, on a corporate basis. Every church should be connected to other churches that form what we call a temple within a region. This is the source of wisdom, but excellence must be seen also in our personal lives, personal hygiene, the way we, we keep our homes, the way we keep our cars, the way we look after ourselves, the way we dress, etc. All of this reveals that God has an excellent name. And remember this, you have the right to represent that name. Because you are his son. And as his representative, you represent not any name, you represent an excellent name. So there should be excellence in what you do. When you send out a WhatsApp message, make sure that you are checking what you are typing and what you are writing because you represent someone who is excellent. Many of you are on community groups, community chats. You are not just on church groups. You are on groups where there are people of different faiths, people of different beliefs, people of different nationalities, people of different race groups, people of different social standings. And when you are chatting on those groups, it must be reflected with excellence. When there are problems in the area, there should be Excellence being displayed by the way you react to those problems. This is what great people do. And you can only have it because of an excellent spirit. Which Daniel had. How come Daniel could advise five kings? Joseph's excellence was seen in the way in which he served Pharaoh. So the second thing is have an excellent spirit. Third one, if you want to be great, here's a nice one for you. Avoid any human expectation. Let me give you the verse. Luke 6.35, love your enemies. You'll notice it's gone quiet. Do good and lend. Here's a part, here's a part. Hoping for nothing in return. 
And here's the other part. You see, God doesn't forget. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, you are living in a society that is ungrateful, unkind, evil speaking, boastful, self-centered, self-righteous. So, don't punish yourself by expecting anything from anyone. You will avoid a lot of pain in your life if you do things without any expectation. When you're serving in the church, you're waiting for someone to say thanks. Don't wait for it. It may not come. In fact, you'll get more complaints. You would think that the Israelites, after they were delivered from Egypt, will be thankful. No, they were, Bible says, grumblers and complainers. And we know they end, they all died in the wilderness. Another generation had to rise up. So, rather than having any expectancy from our human beings and brothers, do it unto the Lord. That's what great people do. Don't wait for any accolades, any achievements, any certificates, any thanks, any gift. Voluntarily serve in the house of God. Give yourself to it sacrificially. Why? Whatever you do in secret, the Lord will reward you openly. Now you see, you do things in secret, which only God knows. He knows what you did. But when you get, when you get rewarded... Because the Bible says he will reward you openly. Now when he rewards you, then all the suspicion starts. But now you've got another problem. You've got people suspicious. How did you get so blessed? But they don't know what you did in secret. The reward you can't hide, Pastor Brady. No one can hide the reward. If God gives you a Mercedes Benz, what are you going to do? Park it inside your house and leave it there. Close the door and say, listen, hey, I can't drive this car because it's an open reward I got. No. God will definitely reward you. But don't do anything waiting for people to give you something. You'll avoid a lot of pain. We've had a lot of betrayal in our lives. Many pastors can tell you stories about betrayal. But over the years, you don't get thick-skinned. Because you still want to feel. You just lose this waiting for someone to say thank you. You know, we're so excited about what you did for us, etc., etc. So in that way we can sleep peacefully because we're not expecting anything. If there's no expectation, there's no pain. Avoid that. And you'll have less and less pain in your life. But if you're doing something for someone and you're waiting for, for some sort of reaction from them, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. 
Okay? I'm moving on because of time. But if you want to be great, you must be not a giver. You must be an extraordinary giver. There's a painful one. Now, great people are very sacrificial. And when I say great, I'm talking about in the context of the kingdom of God. They are very sacrificial. And when you meet them, we will walk away feeling like you did nothing on the earth. Because of the kind of sacrifices they make. And their sacrifices is not only financial. It's because they are dead. I want you to know this. You can't give until you die. You haven't given till you are dead. It's called self-denial. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains alone. But when it dies, it produces a harvest. It's called self-denial. The message of the cross is self-denial. That Christ gave himself for us. So, if you want to be great, LCC, ZCC, I keep saying ZCC, but we'll leave it at that. Got used to it now. You want to be great? Oh, you got to be a giving church. You got to be great givers. You got to be sacrificial givers. You got to be 100% givers. You got to give yourself. Hey, I'm telling you, you got to give yourself. There's no way you're going to make it without being great givers. Abraham was a great giver because he could give Lot the best part of the land. Now, he could have pulled out all his trump cards. He said, hey, when your father abandoned you, I took care of you. I gave you the best. I taught you everything. Look at the cattle you have acquired and the wealth you have acquired. He could have gave him a good lesson about why he was so blessed. But when the time came for them to separate, as a father, he could have chosen which land Lot should have taken. But he gave him the best part of the land. In 2015, Bhavan is here. Bhavan's aunt gave a piece of property which is 25,000 square meters to the ministry. It was ABC Ministries and it was registered in the name of the ministry. That was in 2015. In 2016, Dr. Segi, who is my father in the faith, called me. He said to me, listen, I want to give you a property. I knew about the property because I was initially involved in some of uh, the work behind it. And it's about 20 kilometers from where I stay. And he said to me, no, I want you to go there and uh, start a work and a ministry there and move your church over to this property. Now what people don't know is in that year I had taken a big risk and I bought a house which we were converting to be a church and also a guest house to keep pastors in and we did it in great faith because we had absolutely no money. And so we bought the house and we were busy with the renovations. And he came to me and he said, no, take this land. And I wanted to tell him 
Why didn't you tell me earlier? I thought like I miss God now, Magisha. Why would this happen? Now he has two properties in one moment. To cut the long story short, he signed over the property to us, no strings attached, fully paid. That's where our ministry is today. You want to be great? Can you do things like that? But little did people know, I have to pay a lot of other people's bonds, bought lands for them, paid off their debt in the preceding years to that moment. Oh, in the kingdom of God, extraordinary givers are great people. They don't ever think about their own comforts. It's called sacrificial giving. Now this is how it works. All of us know Abraham heard about the sufferings of his nephew Lot who had been taken captive. He took his own resources and he went, he rescued him. And when he rescued him, the spoils of war that they were acquired were now going to be shared. But this is, this is what he did. He took the spoils, he took a tenth of it, meaning a tithe of it, and he gave it to the king of the area called Melchizedek. Later on we will understand more about Melchizedek through Jesus Christ, who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. So he lifted up the offering to Melchizedek. And then he took some of the spoils and he gave it to those who were his equals. He had three friends, Mamre, Eshkol, and Ena. They were also lords in the region. They were rulers of equal. And so he shared the spoils with them. And then he also gave to servants who came with him to the war. And some of them that were born in his house, he took the balance of it and he gave it to them. So do you know he gave 100%? But listen to this. You've got to see the picture. He gave up to Melchizedek. He gave to those who are his equal. And he gave to those who were beneath him. What is that? It's a cross. It's called self-denial. Then you read the following verses. After this, after this, God said to him, I'll give you property. I'll give you a son, I'll give you a posterity in the land, I'll give you protection, I'll give you provision, all the peace. After this, you see, you can be in this meeting today and you can have a after this moment. Today. Or you can leave from here and say, that pastor with the pink shirt, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or you can have a after this moment. Or you can have a turning point moment. Or God can turn your briar into a myrtle tree. That's what extraordinary giving is about. When you give the tithe, you haven't started. No, no, you gave what belongs to God. And listen, Nolan made this very powerful statement yesterday when we were talking. He said, listen, inflation rates change. And all of you make adjustments because now you've got to pay extra for your bond. If the VAT rate goes up, you've got, to, you've got to adjust yourself accordingly, although it hasn't changed for a while. When taxi fares goes up, we adjust ourselves. Uber fares goes up, we adjust ourselves. God is so gracious. The tithe has never gone up. 
stay the same. Yet, yet, by the way, you are leasing the land you are on. It belongs to God. He has never put the rent up. Never put it up. How come you can't give to him? What belongs to him? And I know you read all the articles on the internet about why you shouldn't tithe, which are foolish articles. People wanting to give God less. But these are eternal ancient principles which are not according to the law, they are according to Abraham, your father. If you want the blessings of Abraham, take my advice, start tithing. Start tithing to the local church, start tithing to your spiritual father in the faith. We have extensive teachings on these subjects, which are watertight with examples from the Bible. Start tithing because great people are givers, but they are extraordinary givers. Why was there great grace in the early church? Because they took their possessions, they sold it. They took their land, they sold it. They brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was not for the apostles, it was for distribution. Otherwise, Peter would have been rich. He wouldn't have said silver and gold, I do not have. He just collected in the previous chapter. So, it was not for them, it was for distribution. And I'm telling you that God is looking for good distributors. And sacrificial people are distributors. How do you attract all grace into your life? You've got to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully and God will make all grace abound to you. Sacrificial people are great people. Next point. You want to be great, you must solve problems. Churches must solve problems. Community problems, social problems, racial problems, discrimination problems, gender problems. Now we've got other terms, wokeism, gender fluidity. We've got other big problems that we have to solve. Major problems that the church has to get involved in. David could solve the problem of the lion. could solve the problem of the bear. He could solve the problem of Goliath. Territorialism, the flesh, national problems. We can't solve the problems on our street. But there are many problem solvers in the Bible. Jesus was a problem solver. Listen, if you haven't got wine, he can solve it. If your birthday celebrations or your wedding celebrations are not going too well, he can solve your problem. Come on now, you can't have a wedding without wine. In biblical times. If you got no wine, there's no joy, there's no celebration, there's no laughter. Come on, in the church, if there's no wine, you're going to have a sour-faced group of people gathering every week, looking there, and singing, how great thou art. Oh, but problem solvers, they know how to make wine happen. That's why you must get the right MC for your wedding. Otherwise, you'll have a terrible wedding. Sons of God must be problem solvers. You must feed the 5,000. Okay, when you get time, read the verse. Jesus said to them, came to him and they said, 
you know, the people will be, will be hungry. We should send them into the villages so that they can go and get something to eat. And he looked at them and he said, you feed them. And then uh, they had a budget meeting. Came back to him and they said, hey, it's going to cost us so many denarii to feed this 5,000 people. And then he said, okay. And they said, he asked them, what do you have? They said, no, we have five loaves and two fish. Everyone say resource. There's resource in your hand. There's resource in the house. As the lady with the one jar of oil found out. She said, I've got a little jar of oil here. And there's resource in the crowd. There's always resource. The problem is we're not resourceful with the little that we have. When you become resourceful with whatever resource is available, oh, you'll solve problems. We have a church in a community that is, you know, relatively underprivileged. I had to solve the problem of water. They don't get water that often, so we had a bowl. We got an extension. We put the tank outside. You can come and get water whenever you want it. Free of charge. And they all know that. They all know that. We have a vegetable garden that is self-sustaining. People buy vegetables every week. Only the people in the church are allowed to buy. The other people, they get it for free. I'm serious. If you're a member of the church, you buy the vegetables. Very cheap. Very cheap. You get three avocados for 10 rand. That's very cheap. We're trying to get onto the Woolworths database. No, you've got to find ways. When we wanted to develop the property, I went and bought a block-making machine. I sent the guy for training, taught him how to make the blocks. Every block you see on our property, retaining block, is put by us. You've got to solve problems. All kinds of projects that you can get involved in to create employment, to empower people, to develop them. It's not a profit-making entity. No. It's just to develop people. You can solve problems. Jesus solved the problem of a religious dispute about a woman that was caught in adultery. Otherwise she would have been stoned to death. Can you imagine being saved from dying? Because someone intervened with the righteousness and justice on your behalf. Oh, that's a problem solver. He can tell you how to catch fish after you've tried the whole night. And he can solve your problem. With a great harvest that you would have never ever imagined. Where Peter even bowed down and said to him, I am a sinner. Jesus solved the problem of temple tax. So just catch this fish there, open its mouth, there's two coins there, and you should know, but now you are the fish. You got caught in church, and you got the gold in your mouth. And that gold is to solve a problem. All around us there are problems. All around us. Just open your eyes and see. <laughs> you will find a lot of problems around you. But here's the other problem. You are the problem. 
Sometimes you don't realize we are the problem. My last point, and all of us know this, you can't be great without serving. There's no greatness without serving. Sorry, second last point. Second last. All of us know the verse in Matthew 20, 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great, that means great in the world, exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve? He gave his life for ransom for many. So all of us are called to be servants. You should look for every opportunity to serve. And the first thing you must do is, you must be a secret service agent. Don't do things for everyone to notice. Do it secretly. Do it quietly. For 10 years in our forum, I was a sound guy. I did the recording. In fact, they didn't know how valuable the messages were, so I started recording. No one told me to do that. I went and bought a recording machine. I started recording the messages. I started making the CDs at my own cost because I knew the value of what I was listening to. I knew the value. I knew how important the merchandise was. So I used to secretly go and do it. That's all I did. I just served. I never ever asked for this. Never desired it, never wanted it, never entered my mind. Never thought about it. I never thought I would stand on the same platform with my spiritual father and preach all over the world. Secret service does that. And you don't do it once or twice. It's called enduring service. It doesn't stop. You keep it going all the time. And you must be versatile in your service. Be flexible. Be able to do anything. Anything you are asked to do, like many of you have been asked to park cars, some of you have been asked to greet the people at the door, some of you have been, been asked to, to make tea for the pastors all over this weekend. But don't let it just be for the weekend. No, let it be enduring, let it continue. And as long as you are ready to serve, you are versatile in your service, you will be found trustworthy. And when you are trustworthy, a faithful servant, even if he's faithful with the least, God will make him a ruler over much. All because of serving. My last point, and I mean that. Great people recognize and perceive grace. They are able to discern grace. They are able to know how to partake, access, receive grace into their life. They know how grace comes packaged. Grace is the commodity of the kingdom. It is in all the revolutions that you study, industrial revolution up to now, the fifth revolution that we're entering into, the only thing that's going to sustain the church is grace. 
So, grace is all around you. You got to know how to access it. But you got to perceive it first. How is it coming to you? How is it packaged? How does God deliver grace to you? How does God take you out of Egypt? How does he deliver you from the Midianite? How does he deliver you from the Edomite? How does he deliver you from an Assyrian attack? How does he do it? No, no, he doesn't send angels from heaven thundering and coming. So when the people were praying in Egypt, deliver us, Lord, we are suffering under the hands of this Pharaoh that has enslaved us. God could have just sent his angels with chariots, could have thundered from heaven and sorted out the problem. No, no, he finds a man in the back of the desert with a few sheep that belong to someone else that is thinking about the murder that he just committed and how he left Egypt and he's hanging around there for 40 years and he appears to him in a burning bush. And he says to him, I've got a job for you. I'm sending you to Egypt. Many times the answer to your prayer is sitting next to you. Because God sends Moses to answer the prayer and solve the crisis of Egyptian slavery. Just like he would send Gideon and he would send Deborah and he would send Samson and he would send Japheth and many others. Just like he sent John to be the messenger of the covenant. You have to recognize and receive it. The early church recognized the grace upon the apostles. And they knew how to partake of it. They sold whatever they had. They brought it and laid it at their feet. Because they wanted to access the grace that was in them. Now, how do you access this grace? Because if you don't discern it, you'll die like Nabal. If you don't discern it, you'll be leprous like Gazi. Because of the inability to discern grace. So, when people go to church and they think about a pastor... They have in their minds a certain view, not realizing that the person who has been called and sent by God is there for one reason, to dispense grace into your life. This is not deism, this is not the worship of a man, this is not the deification of a person. This is about how you receive grace. Now, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you had a bad experience. No, no, you must consult the scriptures. To find out how God wants to bring grace into your life for greatness. So, when you discern a person that is carrying grace, you've got to know how to receive it. And grace comes to you, here's the three ways. Number one, through the benediction. Now, if some of you have been to an Orthodox church, at the end of the meeting, you would receive what is called the benediction. It's from Jude or it's from Romans, last chapter, grace and peace to you, or from Numbers chapter 6. Many of you can quote them. It's pronouncement of the benediction. So when someone is preaching, they are making pronouncements over you. Benediction is not just the close of the meeting. It is a declaration over your life. You've got to know how to receive grace that comes through pronouncements. So if I tell you you're going to be great, you can go away yeah, feeling stupid. Or you can believe what I'm saying. Because this moment has been ordained for me to stand here and say something to you. 
Just like every Sunday, the pastor is ordained to stand there and make a pronouncement, preach the gospel to you. And in that way, you are accessing grace through the word of God. Second way you receive grace is through the tangible laying on of hands. That there's an impartation of grace that comes when people lay hands on you. Third way is that you get grace just by being near. You say, how is that possible? Paul, when he wrote to the Roman church, he said, I long to see you. He didn't say, I long to be with you so I can lay my hands on you. I long to see you so that I may do what? Impart something to you. Grace comes because you are near. There's visual transmission of grace. Just because of everyone say proximity, being close. Some people can never get close to the pastor. This is why they don't receive grace. What did Joseph say to his brothers when they came into the land called Goshen? And Goshen means to draw near. He said, stay near to me. There's five years more for the famine. But because you are here, you will get bread. If you stay near. What did Elisha have to do to receive the mantle? He had to stay near. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He commissioned them to be with him. So the twelve were with him 24 hours a day. Because they wanted to stay close. They wanted to be near. You've got to understand your greatness is about how you perceive and receive the grace. But you also got to invest in it. You've got to sow into it. You've got to be able to perceive that someone is carrying something and access it. This is why the tithing system under the law was for the Levites because they were priests that would make the pronouncement, they would do the work of the service and the tithe was reserved for them. Gone quiet now. Oh, great people understand this. They know how to invest in grace and to access it through investment. Now, some of the teachings we have around giving are radical. But I can tell you as a product, as a product of those teachings, as one who has practiced it even from the time when my dad was alive, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen the righteous being put to shame. And I have never seen them being famine. Because of eternal principles, of learning how to access grace. I would like to say grace, mercy and peace to you now. But there's one more thing I would like to do. I'd like to call Pastor Justin, his wife Melanie, the kids. The other day as I was praying for you, I felt this word that I would like just to share with you and it's from the scriptures. I want to read from the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse number 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, And I say to you as the angel of the church of Zion Community Center, the church, these things says he who is holy, says he who is true, and says he who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut, and shuts and no one can open. God says, I know your works. Maybe other people don't know, but I know your works. 
I know the price that you have paid. I know the sufferings. I know the trials. I know the difficulties. I know the challenges. I know your works. But see, see, lift up your eyes, Justin. Melanie, see, I have set an open door that no one can shut. Listen to this verse. You have had little strength. Oh, little resource. Very little resource. Just with a small number of people. Just with a few that's in your cover. You have had little strength, but you kept my word. To the challenges you had with the denomination, the death of your dad, and many other things that you have been through. Oh, you might have thought you had little strength, but you kept my word. You didn't forsake the truth. You didn't abandon that which I placed in you. You didn't give up on the words that I've written in your heart. You didn't back down on the doctrine that God gave you. Oh, you stood your ground. God says to you, I know that even with little strength, you did not deny my name. Therefore, indeed, this is what God's going to do for you. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not and lie, I will make them come down and they will bow and worship before your feet. And you know why? They will know that I have loved you. They will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And I want to say to all of you that are connected to this man, and you're connected to his spirit, and you're connected to the vision of this house, whatever the world is facing, in whatever trial the world is going, God will keep you. He kept you during COVID. He kept you during the building, going through this building and the many trials that you all have faced. But I will keep you and while I'm testing those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And listen, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. God is going to make you a pillar, not just in this house, but in the body of Christ. And you will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out from heaven. And I will write on him my new name. And I say to you, if you have an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying. Lift your hands to your pastor. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we lift our hands to this beautiful family that you have called, that you have sent, that have left everything, they left their professional jobs to serve you. They gave up everything for the kingdom of God. And today, God says to you, I know your works. And everyone that has accused you, everyone that has falsely said things about you, everyone that has stood up against you and your family, they will come in the coming days to bow down and worship before you in the name of God. God is going to make you a pillar in the house and overcoming spirit shall be upon you and the people that are within this house. And no door in any nation, in any region, in any country will ever be shut to you. God will open an effective door for ministry in places you have never believed is possible. 
I see you standing before influential people, yes. people, Lord, that, that are decision makers, giving them sound advice and counsel about their future endeavors, that God will give you the tongue of the learned to speak a word in season to those that would need it, that God would give you a word in season to break the back of poverty and to break the back of rejection, that God would give you a word in season to reframe minds and break down strongholds and pull down everything that comes up against the knowledge of God. That God will give you a word in season that would propel people out of Egypt into a Zion position. That God will give you a word in season to deliver people out of their climate, out of their critical situations and push them into the avenues of their lives that they never believed are possible. I bless your servant. I bless his wife. I bless his children. And I bless the family of this church and everyone that's connected to his spirit. That the spirit of sonship would rise deep in this house. And I say to you that your name will be great. And your name would be great not just here in Santon, but in the nations of the world. And everyone associated with you would start to see the manifestation of greatness in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Amen. Amen.